It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Here's what's cooking on today's Sports Stove podcast. We're talking handshakes and slaps. We're going to talk NFL, USFL, a little NASCAR and maybe other things as well. That's what's cooking on today's Sports Stove Podcast. From Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network, you're listening to the Sports Stove Podcast with your host, Vince Stover. Welcome into an all-new edition of the Sports Stove Podcast, presented by Belly Up Fantasy Baseball Live. Every Sunday at 8 p.m., join Kevin Wilson and myself as we break down all the latest and greatest news and information for fantasy baseball this season. This Sunday, we'll be talking uh, ranking the first baseman and third baseman. Last week, we talked about the starting pitcher, so you can go back and listen to that uh, on the Belly Up Fantasy Live, Baseball Live, excuse me, podcast. Uh, but you can get us live on Sundays as well. Uh, happy Friday. Dad, welcome back to the show. How you doing? Good, good. Glad to be back. And, um, yeah, do, doing great. Big big week. I know we're talking probably a little bit of hockey. Big week in Nashville. and But a lot going on, so... Yeah, uh, yeah, we might we might get to some hockey tonight. Uh, we don't we don't always talk hockey, but uh, when we have to, we do. Um, but nonetheless, we'll get we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. Uh, big basketball weekend as the regular season is winding down in the NCAA uh, here pretty soon. I know uh, the team that I cover and follow, Eastern Kentucky, their final game will be Saturday in the regular season before they get into the A Sun Conference tournament. Um, coming off an, another tough loss 
uh, on Wednesday evening. The guys did. The girls play uh, on Thursday. But uh, nonetheless, uh, let's talk some college basketball. I covered it on the Monday episode uh, by myself a little bit. But I want to get your thoughts. Juwan Howard, uh, Coach Guard from Wisconsin, coming through the handshake line. Juwan Howard seemed to be upset about a timeout, um, even though he was pressing uh, and the game was over. But uh, uh, then Guard put his hands on Howard, which Howard didn't seem to like. And then they had words. The next thing you know, the assistant coach is standing there. Juwan Howard reaches over, slaps him in the side of the head, getting a five-game suspension through the rest of the regular season. Um, what were your thoughts when you first saw the whole instance take place? Well, I mean, I, I always hate to see that. I remember years ago when it seemed like there was a lot more of that type of stuff. Fights went on, and they've kind of stopped that, which was good in the NCAA. Um, it's you know, it's, it's sad when a coach gets involved in that because then anything can really happen. Um, players can get upset, and usually the coaches or the adults are the ones that kind of separate everybody and calm everybody down. But once you get a coach involved, um, you know, then I, then you got players sticking up for their coach. Um, it can escalate r- real quickly. And, of course, um, you know, he, he has a little bit of history in this. So I think that's why, you know, a suspension and things like that came up. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the coach has got to rise above that and for the coaches to start that. Um, and I don't think it was anywhere near a good enough reason um, from there. You know, um, I mean, you know, when you're losing, you just have to take that. And that's the way it is. You know, don't don't be 15 points down and that doesn't happen. And, um, you know, I, I've seen coaches protect players, felt like players have gotten hurt, things like that. But that wasn't what this was. No. And, you know, I mean, if he was going to press – I don't understand how you can be upset about a timeout. I don't, I don't get the mindset of saying, well, yeah, we're allowed to still play hard, um, but you just need to let it go. And if we score a couple more points and so be it, I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's not the first dust up that, that Jawan Howard has had either. Um, he had issues last year. I think it was against Maryland uh, where he was yelling at a player and, and, and just things that didn't make a whole lot of sense there either. Um, but he'll miss the rest of the regular season, which really isn't that big of a deal, but it is five games. And, uh, do you think that five games was sufficient, a uh, suspension for Jawan Howard? Um, yes, I, I think so for this, I think a suspension was good. Um, but again, you know, this is his second offense. So I think next time it could be uh, a lot different if it comes up again, but, um, no, I, I, I think that's, I think that's sufficient for what happened and um, the way it was there. I talked to one Michigan fan. He said, I'd be okay if they fired him. Um, <laughs> I, thought, yeah. I thought, well, I mean, I guess, but I don't know. I mean, it's bad. Don't get me wrong. It, and I, you know, I shared my opinions about uh, adults acting like children on, on Monday's episode. People can go back and listen to that if they'd like on the podcast. But, uh, you know, I never thought this was necessarily a fireable offense. Now, if it was the you know, a low-tier college and a no-name coach, maybe so, but it's Jawan Howard. He's at Michigan. He's part of the Fab Five. They're not firing him over this. Now, if he does it again, sure, but but uh, nonetheless, I thought it was strange. I thought it was strange how it all went down. I thought it was strange how Jawan Howard kind of, he just, he didn't seem to own it. He, he kind of was making excuses about it, and I never really, I didn't hear, and, and, and maybe this is on me for not reading more, um, why 
he he actually hit the assistant coach. I mean, I didn't see anything about him saying he said something about my mama or something like that, right? I mean, I and I'm not sure what what caused the hit. Well, I mean, from what you have, it, it's this thing that goes on today, and it happens with kids a lot. You wouldn't think it would with adults, but from what I understand, the deal was, hey, somebody touch me. You don't touch me. Okay, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I've heard that. I've been around that a lot, and that just, that's kind of an excuse for losing your temper, but it's kind of like his deal was, hey, once somebody touched me, then that, that was that was over the line, and, you know, I, I, I'm not going to take that. And, again, I mean, you know, if he'd gotten shoved, if he'd gotten hit, that would be different. But I think, you know, it's not uncommon when you talk to a person and they're upset and you want to get their attention to just put your hand out and say, now, hey, wait, wait just a minute. Um, and sometimes you do touch them, but um, I, I don't think he was shoved first. But uh, everything I've read, that's all that, you know, that's the excuse he would give saying, hey, you know, boy, once somebody touched me, then it's a, then it's a different deal, different game. Yeah, but the crazy thing is, is the guy he hits, not the guy that touched him. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and, and it just, it, none of it made sense. And I'm not sure where, I don't know. I'm not, I've not been pleased with what I've heard come out of Juwan Howard's mouth about it. And I've heard, some people try to defend them, and the deal is, is no, you can't defend hitting somebody. Um, you know, that's, there's there's no defense for it. Five games into the regular season, I would have liked to have seen at least one conference tournament game where he was suspended, but uh, they chose not to do that, and I can live with that as well. Um, just a crazy all-around thing. Now, some of the conversation came around of we need to just eliminate the handshake line from college basketball. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think the handshake has been a good thing, and it's in a lot of other sports, and I don't think there's any reason why it it shouldn't work. I think it helps a little bit keep sports in the proper perspective. Um, games can obviously be very competitive. There can even be physical um, you know, disagreements or, or disagreements with players during the game. But to be able to have the handshake line, I think, I mean, sports have done that. Um, I've always, I was surprised. I didn't know until I was in a hockey playoffs that, um, you know, the hockey teams, you know, at the end of every playoff series and boy, you know, hockey's a very, very physical sport. Um, you know, at the end of every series, there's a handshake line and I've been privileged to see two or three of them. And even though there were players there that didn't like each other, there was no, no problems with that. That just, part of sportsmanship and the way it goes. I was thinking about that today. You know, the NFL, the NFL doesn't have a handshake line, but when the game is over, you see a, a majority of the players talking to each other, um, you know, on the field, on the center of the field. Very rarely is there an incident. Um, many, most, well, I think at every game in the NFL, the television networks, they choose not to show this, but there are players and staff members on both teams that meet at the center of the field and pray together. And, um, you know, I mean, in NFL, very physical sport, but at the end of the game, they realize, Hey, it's a game and the game's over with now, and we're going to move on. And I think that's what helps with the handshake line. Now, in all fairness, in basketball, it does happen very quickly right after the end of the game. Um, but again, I think when you get in some of these arenas in a basketball arena, you almost have to do it that way, especially if you got this rushing to court and stuff like that. Um, 
I don't think you'd have the time in hockey. You know, you have a few minutes before they set up the handshake line or, you know, they skate through there. And, um, of course, football, you know, there's a little bit of time there where the basketball thing does happen quick. But, I mean, I think any kind of show of sportsmanship um, is is a good thing. And uh, it, I don't think it should be a problem. Yeah, I think football is probably the best example because they do it after every game. The head coaches come out, meet, shake hands. Usually the quarterbacks do as well. And, of course, there's a bunch of players out there. But it's the deal. The cameras are on. The coaches handshake and the quarterbacks handshake. And if there is an instance, it's news. Anytime that there's been a coach who is, who's kind of shoved off the handshake or ignored it, it's become news. It's a, it's, it's a big deal. And so uh, I think that's probably the best example that's there. Hockey, like you said, it's at the end of the playoff series. This is a regular season basketball game we're talking about. Um, and it wasn't like a buzzer beater or a controversial officials call at the end. It was game was over yeah, <laughs> and and still issues and, and just no excuse for it. Tom Izzo doesn't think they need to get rid of the uh, handshake lines either. We'll agree with Tom Izzo on this one. It, it shouldn't be that difficult to shake a hand, even if you're upset, even if the coach says something about it. You can just say, listen, we're not talking about this right now. It seems like, from everything that I can see, Shawan Howard and Guard have a decent relationship. There's you know, video of them in the past talking, hugging, laughing, those kinds of things. So it's, it's not like they have a, a storied history of, of hatred towards one another. Um, I don't know. It's just a really weird situation um, and a sad situation, especially when you're talking about the coach getting involved in that kind of, that kind of thing. It's crazy to see. Uh, in our current day and time. Uh, other college basketball stuff, we are getting close to the tournament time. Uh, conference tournaments are starting soon. Uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, final four. We're still a ways out. We don't have brackets or anything yet. But top four right now is Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, and Purdue. Let's start with this question, Dad. Of those four teams, how many of those four do you think will be in the final four? Um, I think I, right now I would pick three of those um, to do really? that. I, th- I think, um, again, I, like I mentioned, I think on last show, I think your top 10, 12 teams, you know, right now, any number, any of those probably could. But, yeah, I, I would think Arizona, Gonzaga, and Purdue would definitely, that's who I would think are in it along with uh, Kentucky. Wow. Okay. Um, so, I think I'd probably say two of those four um, make it through. I don't trust Gonzaga this year. Uh, I, d- I don't like what they've done. Uh, you know, they've won games that they're supposed to win for sure. They they dominated St. Mary's, uh, they, but they just they don't play anybody. Um, they they don't their their whole season is just a bunch of nobodies. And I feel like tournament time comes and that hurts Gonzaga in the long run there. I'm looking through their schedule. They got beat by Alabama in December. They, let's see here. Uh, they beat Texas Tech, who was ranked. Um, they beat Texas, who was ranked. And then outside of that, I mean, and UCLA. They beat UCLA as well. Uh, early, All early games in the season. Here in the, the latter part of the year, St. Mary's is the only team that's ranked that they played, and they beat them. Yeah, they dominated them, but is St. Mary's that good? I don't trust Gonzaga. Purdue's the team I trust the most out of those top four. Um, but I, I would say two of those four. I don't trust Auburn. Uh, they got they got a good squad. Start a journey, not a fad. 
Kick off your fitness journey with up to $500 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread packages. Choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes, heart rate band, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Uh, but I don't think they're, I don't think they're as good as their record either. So, um, I'm going to say two of those four, probably Purdue and Arizona are the two I would think, but could be Purdue and Gonzaga or Arizona and Gonzaga, I guess as well. Kentucky's good. Uh, (laughs) no matter what happens, uh, in the SEC tournament, no matter how they finish out their year, they have the roster that could beat anybody. Now, will they? That's still the big question mark, right? But they have the roster. They have the makeup of veterans, bigs, shooters, defenders. They've got it all. Will they? Will they contribute as well? Uh, do you have a long shot uh, that you know maybe top twenty-five team already? But uh, maybe well, most I, 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 I look at teams that are not in the top ten uh, that I think can, could make a run at it. And again, of course, I like. I'm an Illinois fan, but I think Illinois, Wisconsin, and Arkansas. Are all teams you would have to keep an eye on that are out of the top 10 right now. Again, based on they've played some good teams and seem to be playing well here at the end of the season. Yeah, I like Arkansas as well. Uh, UCLA is a team. They have a lot of experience, yeah. um, and they were good last year, of course, as well. So that that's a team you have to be concerned about, be worried about. Uh, what about Murray State? They're down there at number 19 right now, two-loss team. Again, they don't play – a lot of great uh, opponents <laughs> and in their conference either. Um, but uh, any thoughts, do you think Murray State can maybe be that Cinderella team this year? Well, I mean, they definitely would be one of the better Cinderella teams because they, they are good every year, and it seems like they're good again this year. A lot of that's going to depend on where the bracket falls um, and what they've got there. If they can get in a bracket where they can win and the ranked team above them gets upset, then all of a sudden, yeah, they, they, they make a move. So I'm interested, too, in the brackets when we talk about the top four teams. A lot of times you, know, you usually just have one team out west, and they're going to get in the, be the, in the western bracket. This time with Arizona and Gonzaga, somebody's going to move out of the West more than likely if they're in the top four. And uh, that could make it interesting. And that could make it tough for Gonzaga, as you said. Let's say Arizona is the higher ranked team and gets in the West. All of a sudden, Gonzaga is in the South or the East. That could be a lot different. Yeah, it could be. Um, But conference tournament time for Arizona, they're not guaranteed to be in that top four. Right. who do you think, uh, if you had to make your decision, your choice for Final Four, who would those four be? I think you said you said Gonzaga, Arizona, Purdue. No, who did you say? Yeah. Arizona, Gonzaga, Purdue, and Kentucky. And Kentucky, okay. I think right now I would lean towards Purdue, uh, Arizona, Kentucky, UCLA, and... Arkansas. I like that Arkansas team. Uh, but you got teams like Villanova and Duke that are going to be good in the tournament. Yes. Um, you know, Coach K. All right, let's go conspiracy theory, Dad. Coach K is in his final season as head basketball coach at Duke. He is one of the most respected basketball coaches in all of college basketball. He's probably considered a top three all-time college basketball coach, I would guess, 
John Wooden, I think would be number one. I'm sure there's, uh, you know, the, 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 um, uh, Dean Smith, I'm sure is up there. Maybe coach K is number two. Uh, well, let's go there first. Where do you put coach K in the, the list of all time college basketball coaches? Well, I mean, yeah, he, he's definitely one of the top ones. I do think, you know, John Wooden is at the top there. Then, you know, you're going to have three or four, you know, iconic names. You mentioned some of them there. Um, I know he had controversy at the end, but Bob Knight is going to be a guy that's going to be mentioned in there. Um, but, um, yeah, and, of course, you know, you go back, a little further than you get into Iba and Rupp, but those are, you know, those, those are a little older from there. So, um, yeah, Coach K is going to go down by far as one of the guys, you know, a, a great coach. He had an Olympic success. He, you know, of course, was a great recruiter. And I think, you know, was good for college basketball. So, yeah, I agree. So now let's get back to the conspiracy theory. I like conspiracy theories. Uh, coach K final year as a, as a head basketball coach in the tournament, close game. Uh, what's the chances the refs lean towards coach K a little bit in the tournament? Well, um, I, you know, I, I don't know officials. Things happen so quick. I, I've never been, you know, totally guaranteed that officials have time to think about all of that. There are makeup calls, obviously, when they miss a call or something like that. I think the thing to look at more would be the NCAA and the pairings and the brackets. Uh, Coach K has always held sway with those kind of things. And um, I, I can't see them putting him in a tough bracket. It would be good for them, for Coach K to go a ways and to be able to promote it. And I think that's where you might see some monkey business would be just in what their bracket looks like. That's a great point. Uh, yeah, you could have the Duke the Duke bracket uh, with an interesting selection of teams around them. That's a good point. I'll tell you, though, officials, they make decisions uh, ahead of time where they're going to hold the whistle. They're going to call that that block a charge every time when – when it goes for a certain team, there, there's there's things that they do consciously, as well as things that are happening in the moment. You just make the decision and go with it. But uh, that's going to be a conspiracy until Coach K is out. Uh, there, there's going to be from the from day one from the when they're a two seed, um, and and the rest of the bracket looks horrible. Whatever it is, maybe they're even a one seed if they win out the ACC and one of these Arizona Auburn. Purdue teams loses, you know, maybe Duke jumps in as the one seed and everything gets fun from there as well. Uh, the Blue Bloods, Dad, you've got Kansas at five, Kentucky at six, Duke at seven. Um, they're all right there. They're all back in it, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, they, they, they are. You're going to have a lot of big names, um, you know, traditional people there. Uh, then you get a little bit of teams that are maybe aren't as traditional with Texas Tech and Baylor. But um, no, and you got Villanova again, who has been good and uh, will be good this year. Of course, you got, you know, Blue Bloods, you got UCLA's name with they are back in it. And yeah, I, I think you go to the top 12, 15 teams and um, it'll, it, it'll be real good. I mean, I, I think your one, two and three seeds should all be really strong. Yeah. And we learn a lot about these teams come. Uh, conference tournament time, you know, I think about Kentucky, 
uh, had LSU on Wednesday night, Arkansas on Saturday, uh, Ole Miss Tuesday, and Florida next Saturday before going into conference tournament play. So um, most teams are down to three to five games. Um, well, by the time this episode airs, probably down to two to three games. Uh, and then, But we see a lot of who these teams are come conference tournament time. And uh, should be exciting. I can't believe we're almost to March Madness already. Kind of blows my mind a little bit. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's transition now out of college basketball. Let's let's talk NHL, Dad. I want to make sure we have the time to do this. Um, we'll give you a uh, a a sixty second clip or whatever you want to talk about. Nashville's hosting the uh, Stadium Series game, uh, where they will be playing outside in the Titans' uh, home stadium. Nashville's a great place, an entertaining place. The Predators are an entertaining team. Uh, what excites you about the Predators and specifically this game? Uh, I believe it's on Saturday, correct? Yes. Well, just knowing about the fan base and living there and being a part of it, um, you know, Nashville has really quite grown the fan base and and the city has embraced it. Um, you know, the country music um, industry has embraced it. The stars that live in Nashville, which many people, media people and everything they do. And, of course, with the stadium, they're going to be able to accommodate a lot of people. I know Nashville will kind of really roll out the red carpet. They've got big entertainers going to be involved in the intermission, um, all that. And they, they've been building this up for a while. This is a big week, too. Um, on Thursday night, they're going to um, retire the first jersey they've ever retired, which is Pecorine. Uh, I read where he's got 50 folks from Finland coming over for this. And the city, I mean, he's by far the most popular predator there's ever been. So there's already going to be a lot of buildup early in the week um, and then heading toward the game. And they have a, it's an evening game. I think that'll be good. I was looking a little bit at the weather. It could be a pretty cool day on um, Saturday. I think the high of 47 and low of 29, and of course the games at night. So uh, I know they're working on, on making ice this week at night when the you know sun's not shining. But um, I, I I think Nashville just very excited. They've really embraced the Predators. The Predators have been surprisingly good this year. Hopefully it'll be a good hockey game, and the Predators can do well. Um, it'd be interesting. They haven't played in this outdoor setting before. And I think there'll be a lot of excitement, but I was thinking it's got to be a lot different playing hockey outdoors in the stadium as far as just the fans and the closeness compared to a place like Bridgestone Arena. I mean, that's just a very loud, crazy place there. And um, again, there'll be a lot of pageantry and stuff before the game. But when you get down to it, um, I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting to see if there's as much energy to feed off of as um, you know there is normally. But they have good players, and I think they'll do well. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It will be different uh, as far as the noise and the closeness, the intimacy of it all. But we've been in that Titan Stadium for several times. We were there. I, I think back to that um, Titans comeback win over the Giants that we were at. It was, a, what, a Monday night game, I think. Um, and uh, it got pretty loud. Uh, there's still going to be noise. And I think the energy level is going to be through the roof uh, there, especially if the game's close, of course, as well. Uh, I got a question about this, Dad. Um, the Predators have always kind of leaned towards the goalie as far as the fan fan support uh, goes. I'd say early on, maybe Mike Dunham was the goalie, maybe not as much with him. 
but Vokun, uh, Pecorine, now Juice, uh, Soros, Juice, uh, Soros. I mean, it seems like the Predators fan base have always rallied around their goalie. Yes, and I mean, part of it is, you know, um, historically the goalie has been one of the best players in Nashville. They yeah. have had some couple, you know, individual stars, and they have some good player, players now with Forsberg and DeShane and Yossi. But um, the goalies have have been, you know, you're right. The fans have always um, kind of attached themselves to them, and they've had the, the personality and stuff. It's funny, even though, you know, some of them, you know, well, I guess all those guys are from, you know, European countries. Yeah. But, um, you know, Vokun was just very, very popular. And uh, Rene, you know, I really connected with him. And, of course, Soros has now. So, um, and, and, you know, again, I haven't been involved in another hockey city, but I think a lot of times that probably is true. The goalie, you know, there are goalies that are big names. And, of course, when you look back at some of the ones, um, I know they have been with Dominic Hasek and Martin Brodeur. Those were ones that, um, you know, the fans, you know, it was it was the biggest name on, theirs, on those teams. And the Predators have been blessed to have good goalies. Uh, they've got some more in the pipeline now. And, um, you know, you're, you're right about that. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, when the Blackhawks were good, um, when I was a kid, back in Jeremy Roenick, Chelios days, you heard more about them than the goalie. The the Red Wings, when they had their dynasty, yes, they had good goalies, but, you know, you heard about the Isermans and all the other, the, the, the guys that were out there. Uh, I don't know. For me, it seemed like there are definitely teams, like you said, those names you mentioned for sure, those fan bases love those goalies. Um, Wall Patrick Wall was another one of those guys. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 uh, we always enjoyed going to Nashville games. Neither one of us have been in many years, but but uh, uh, nonetheless, it was a good time. Uh, and excited to see how that game turns out there in Nashville. Uh, Smashville, I guess, for Saturday. Uh, let's transition quickly to the NFL. Couple quick thoughts there. Brian Flores gets a job. He's going to be an assistant with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, suing the suing the league. We've talked about that already, so we won't go back to that a whole lot. Are you surprised he got a job uh, this year? Um, I hadn't thought about him, you know, being willing to be an assistant coach, but I think where he went and the situation he is, I wasn't shocked uh, when I heard that. Yeah, it seems to make all kinds of sense, right? <laughs> I mean, Pittsburgh. Uh, it, it just it just makes sense for him to be there. Then, do you think Flores will ever be a head coach again? And well, I'll let you answer that first. Well, part of it will depend, I think, on the lawsuit um, from there and how that goes. Um, I don't know. You know, right now is he set up to be the next Steelers coach? That's what I was going to get to. Um, there, there's been talk about that. It seems like this would be a natural, um, you know, transition there from from that. You know, again, we don't know when Pittsburgh's going to – that coach will be ready to move on, but we've thought it, it may be coming here in the near future. So, um, again, it, it it depends, again, how the lawsuit goes. It depends how he handles it. He may just really continue to push with, hey, I need to get a head coaching job again. And, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I wondered, I wondered even if Tomlin – Maybe his seat's a little hotter now. Uh, you would think transitioning away from 
Ben Roethlisberger, and they came out this week, by the way, and said they're confident in Mason Rudolph. You know that's not true. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but Tomlin, you know, I wonder now if they they would go, hey, you know, if he doesn't perform well, you know, maybe next year's kind of a a wash. The whatever happens happens. But then if he goes two years and struggles, maybe then Flores is the option there, and they don't move on from coaches very often in Pittsburgh, where they've had three, I think, in their entire history. So. Um, yeah. They're not going to move on from Tomlin easily uh, there. Of course, Jimmy Garoppolo is a name that's been mentioned to Pittsburgh uh, a lot. But, I mean, seriously, there there's a time where you just don't have to say anything. Why would you come out and say, we believe in Mason Rudolph and we're comfortable with him being our opening day starter? There's no way they're comfortable with Mason Rudolph being their starter, are they? No, no, they're, they're, they're not. But, I mean, you know, they're, they're, there's a history of that, so – um, you know, I remember when they used to joke about Jerry Jones at Dallas, you know, telling the coach, Hey, so Quincy Carter's the man, let me say it like you mean it, you know, um, and, that, and, and, and that type of thing. So, you know, I, I no, I, I can't believe they would say that or, or would believe that necessarily. And we may see it, see that get contradicted at the draft. Hey, let's play this game Quincy Carter or Mason Rudolph. Who you taking? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want either one of them, so I don't know. <laughs> just, just give the ball to Najee Harris and let him go. Yeah, um, yeah, man, it's so crazy. I don't know. The draft's getting fun, Dad. We're, we'll get into our draft coverage. We're going to wait till after free agency um, to get into our draft coverage, but I've already started doing some research and, and preparing for that. Last year, you and I both had a pretty good uh, first-round draft uh, mock draft where we were we were we were as good actually we were better than most of the national guys but um working on that you know those quarterbacks are starting to get the hype again you know we just a couple of weeks ago the thing was well there's really not any quarterback that can be change your program and now you're talking about five quarterbacks going in the first round um people are starting to get excited about Malik Willis from Liberty um you know the 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 pit uh quarterback he's hit or miss, you know, depending on who you listen to. And um, the uh, Sam Howe from North Carolina, you know, hit or miss, depending on who you listen to. The Cincinnati kid, there's all kinds of options out there. Um, I'm I'm starting to get really excited about the draft, but but we got to see that free agency to kind of figure out the team needs. Green Bay, you know, Dad, we're Packer fans, so I think everybody listening to this knows this. But, uh, um, you know, there's they're going to start getting into those uh, salary issues here pretty soon as soon as they – make it official that Rodgers is coming back. Um, uh, I mean, I think he's coming back at least. Uh, as of this recording, we don't know the answer yet. But uh, um, do you think after his 12-day cleanse, he's his mind is right and he's ready to come back next year? I hope so. But, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I, I think everything's pointing toward that, no doubt about it. And, of course, the Packers have already started making a few moves, clearing some cap space. Um, I was reading a little bit um, today from um, Gutenkunst um, press conference. I, they definitely have a plan. Um, and, you know, I, they have obviously several plans, depending on how things go um, with Rodgers. But uh, I, I think they're very sincere in trying not to lose a lot of the key players. Um, and, again, if they can restructure these contracts, I mean, you know, uh, the one they did with Kenny Clark, they cleared ten million. I mean that that that's fair. That was fairly significant. So um, you know, a few more of those, 
um, which is what they will have in mind. Um, and, you know, again, I, last year there was a lot of talk about, you know, restructuring these things. And, boy, you know, they're just pushing it off and running a risk. But I've read where they, you know, they think that in a couple of years the salary cap will go up quite a bit. So, hmm. you you know, you never know. But um, definitely they're going to, you know, head that way. A team like the Packers that have players uh, where they really have the potential to make a run at it um, are going to do what they can to have a good team again next year. Yeah, Andrew Brandt, who was in the Packers organization when Rodgers got drafted, uh, was doing contracts. He's got some really interesting stuff. He's got a podcast about sports business and other things as well. But he said uh, on Twitter, he said, the thing that he's learned about being in football is that the teams, they don't worry near as much as the fans and the media do about the salary cap situation. The teams always have a plan. They, they know they can work out whatever they need to work out. They don't really, they don't fret about it. They don't, they're not worried about it. They're going to get, they're going to get it figured out. So uh, that being said, it'll all happen. They're, they are going to lose some guys. They're going to have to cut some guys. Even if Rogers retires or gets traded, they're still going to lose you know, some guys. We saw Sedarius Smith. He deleted all his Packer pictures on Instagram, which I am so fed up with that nonsense. But uh, nonetheless, they're going to lose some guys, but it's okay. Uh, I Like I said, I think Rodgers is back. And maybe by the time they list, people listen to this, we already have an answer. Uh, I don't think we'll have an answer by by the release of this this episode. But nonetheless, we will see. Speaking of football, Dad, the USFL had their draft this week. I know we talked about this before we came on air. Uh, there weren't a, a lot of things that stuck out to you on there. I want to talk about a couple of these players, though. Quarterbacks that got drafted, amongst others. Uh, Shea Patterson goes number one. He was, of course, uh, in at Michigan. Um, he got drafted by Michigan. Um, he, you know, he was an interesting college quarterback. Never to me ever looked like he could be a, a, a legit NFL quarterback. Yet uh, he's going to be a he's the number one overall pick for the USFL. And uh, it makes sense with the region going to Detroit, uh, up, you know, even though they're not playing in Michigan or playing in Alabama. But uh, Jordan Ta-Amu, now I'm saying his name wrong, but he was uh, the star, one of the stars of the XFL the last time the XFL came around. He he was on uh, he was on the Chiefs for a little bit this year. Um, he played great in the XFL. He's going to get another opportunity in the USFL to show that he can be a legit quarterback. Uh, Paxton Lynch. Uh, the former first-round draft pick. He's the second quarterback selected by his team, so he's not probably not the starter, and he's a little older now than he was back in the day. But uh, Paxton Lynch may get another shot. Uh, Kyle Laletta was with the Giants, gets there as well. So some interesting quarterback names out there. Um, do you think legitimately a quarterback in the USFL is really going to bolster his career, or do you think the USFL – could lead to a backup job somewhere. Um, I think it's more likely it would lead to a backup job. I mean, unless a guy just really dominates. Um, I, I think there are some positions, um, you know, as more on the defense that'll have a chance to really make a name for themselves. I think we're talking about edge rushers. You're talking about cover guys, cornerbacks, um, things like that. You know, um, I think some of those guys can definitely help themselves and get a shot wide receiver, um, more than likely, um, offensive linemen will get a little more chance uh, to show their ability. But uh, quarterbacks, I think, you know, there, there may be one or two that really shine. And, and But I think getting a good backup job would be probably what they'd get. 
the position that probably has the best chance of going from USFL to, to NFL is special teams, kicker, punter, um, where they can come out. I mean, a kicker can just, you know, be perfect. And NFL teams are always looking for kickers. <laughs> and same is true with punters. Uh, Austin McGinnis, former Kentucky kicker, uh, and actually has had a time in the NFL. He's been a solid kicker, uh, but he he'll, he's going to play for, uh, I think, New Orleans and uh, get an opportunity. Uh, a couple other names that stuck out to me. Scooby Wright, he was a, a name at Arizona when he played there in college and has been unable to really stick in the NFL. So he gets drafted. He's in the USFL. Wide receivers, three names. Uh, Jeff Bidette, a lot of people uh, remember him from Oklahoma. Uh, again, he's just not been able to make it in the NFL, so he's in the USFL now. Jamon Moore, fourth-round draft pick for Green Bay back in 2018. There was uh, the GM, Ted Thompson at the time, was high on him. Um, they eventually had to cut him. He just never made it. He could not catch footballs. And if you're an NFL wide receiver, you kind of got to catch footballs. Uh, Jamon Moore didn't make it. And then uh, John Franklin III, who was on Last Chance U on Netflix, um, uh, Florida State, uh, Florida Atlantic, I believe, as well. And uh, he's going to have another opportunity in the USFL as well. You know, Dad, I was hoping for a few more splashier names, um, guys that maybe were a little bit more household names. Not a ton of them uh, in in the league, but I think the I still think the football is going to be pretty decent. Once they uh, they kick off in April, do you have high expectations, low expectations, no expectations for the USFL? Um, I, I I really don't know. I think it'll depend on how well. Um, I mean, if they can come out and there can be competitive games and it be good football, then I think there's a chance because in spring you like to see. Um, football. I remember last year, you know, we had the, some of the colleges who didn't play in the fall played in the spring. Um, and I, I don't think I watched any of those games. Um, didn't have a lot of interest, but these are guys that may have a chance to play. Um, I think, you know, the, the, um, the teams they have, the logos they have, um, you know, I think a lot of people like myself will, yeah, watch the first couple of weeks and see kind of how it goes from there. Um, and, um, you know, we'll see. I, I don't think it'll generate totally the kind of interest, obviously, that's, that big-time college football or the NFL has. Um, but, you know, it, it, it may work. You've got the TV backing of it. You'll have promotion of it. And I, it looks like you have pretty good coaching. So if you have good teams uh, and they they you know they play well and it's competitive, um, then I think there's a good chance. Um, it'll just be very it'd be interesting to see because had a lot of these spring leagues and they really haven't worked yet. So we'll see. Yeah, I think they've set it up right. Um, how they do the broadcasts will be intriguing to watch. Uh, they can be super informative. The XFL did good with that the last time. They did it with how they did their during-the-game interviews and stuff like that. They had better access. And if the TV network owns the league, you would think the access would be pretty good. Uh, so I'd be interested to see how they do that with the broadcast. They got the right people involved from officiating to broadcast to coaching to players. Everything around should be pretty good. Um, and they're not trying to compete with anybody at this point. They eventually will compete with the XFL, but... At the moment, they're not trying to compete with anybody, and that's, I think, a positive thing all the way around, especially if baseball's still in a lockout. 
come opening day for uh, for the USFL. Another thing, Dad, we didn't talk about this pre-show. Uh, the XFL announced they're going to basically be the the testing grounds for the NFL. They worked a deal with the NFL where if the NFL wants to try out a rule, the XFL will do it. If they want to try out technology, the XFL will do it. And uh, smart move there by the XFL uh, to be the testing ground for the NFL. And that's the kind of thing I think you have to do to succeed, especially with the USFL now in effect as well. XFL coming next year. Um, you know, they got Dwayne Johnson. They've got uh, uh, some eyes. And depending on what the USFL does, that could really help the XFL, I think, launching next year as well. So, um, you know, that seems like the, like a smart move, I would say. Yes, yes, it is. Anything they can do to connect themselves with the NFL um, will help. You know, again, if they are trying new rules, then, yeah, as an NFL fan, I'd be more interested in watching, hey, how, how does this work? How does this technology work? Um, you know, how's it developing from there? Um, I remember what the original XFL was, not that where the overhead camera came in. And um, that's been something that, that worked there. And so I, I think I don't think gimmicks will be as good a deal as connection with the NFL. And if the NFL is kind of looking at it, um, then, you know, the more they take it seriously, the more fans will take it seriously. Good point. All right, let's wrap up our episode talking about NASCAR. I said it on Monday, Dad, NASCAR has pulled me back in. I watched pretty much the entire race on Sunday, then Daytona 500. And yes, it's a historic race. Yes, it's a big deal. It's it's maybe more exciting than some other other races. But I was I really enjoyed myself Sunday. My kids, not so much. But me, I enjoyed watching the race on Sunday. Did you watch the Daytona 500? I did, and I watched almost all of it. Um, it was interesting. Part of that was because, you know, the guest we had on last week, he was really good. I had a little more information about what was going on. I understood a little more about um, the segments and that. And, um, again, it was good. I think they have really good announcers that keep your um, interest there. I thought the announcers were good. They didn't overpower the race, but yet they gave, you know, having Tony Stewart on there and, 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 you know, that gave some insight and with him and Boyer um, went well, but again, they, they let the race kind of run. I I thought they did a good job, um, you know, Show, showing the race from there. Of course, Daytona is always exciting. You know, we shouldn't like to see wrecks, but you're always going to have that at Daytona. Um, and, and that did not disappoint <laughs> in this one either. But knowing a little more from hearing our guests, knowing about the new cars, watching that a little bit. Um, and again, Daytona is a little different because of the draft, but it seems like there were more people um, stayed in it, not just the big names. And of course, the wrecks took some of them out. Yeah, Matt Beamer came on from Ramblin' on Racing podcast and and gave us a lot of good information last week. You're right. Um, now, you know, when I looked at it from the last time I followed racing to to now, the guys that I kind of cheered for, they're not around anymore. Um, so uh, I had to pick new drivers. Uh, Chase Briscoe, who I've been working hard since last year to get on the program, hasn't worked out yet. But uh, Chase Briscoe and Harrison Burton are the two guys that I picked to follow this year. Two Ford drivers. Um, 
Chase Briscoe is an outspoken Christian, which is one of the reasons I, I chose him as well. And then uh, Burton with his history and listening to the podcast of the Burton. Can, uh, anyways, uh, Burton flips early on. Uh, he was out of the race early. Chase Briscoe was in it at the end. Did you have a? Did you have to find a new racer to cheer for, or how did you decide what you were going to look for in this race? I was really just watching. I think as a few weeks go along, I'll be able to connect more. Because, like you said, most of the racers that I knew and I followed um, are you know are not there anymore, and some of them broadcasters now, huh? They're broadcasters now. Yes, they are. And and actually, they've made a great transition. They do real well with that. It's funny how players or how guys in all sports, but like drivers, guys, I didn't like at all at drivers. Um, you know, I like them as broadcasters. They're doing well. I was never a Jeff Gordon fan, but, you know, I think he does well and ones like that. And, um, again, they've, they've done a, you know, They've done a good job of educating folks, not just old hardcore race fans, but trying to attract new ones. And I think these younger guys, I'm always real intrigued by the guys whose dad's raced or granddad's raced. And there are several of them in there now doing real well, um, it looks like. And we'll see. You know, again, we talked... um, you know, with our, our expert the other day. And uh, there are a lot of road races again. I actually enjoy watching that style uh, to some extent too. Um, you know, there, but again, we'll just, we'll see how it goes, but I think it was definitely off to a good start. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in following it a little more. Yeah, I'm a short track guy. I like the short tracks, especially Bristol. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the ending was a little controversial. The winner, Cindric, um, at the very end, he, he tried to block his teammate, ended up wrecking his teammate, still getting the win, uh, and holding off, uh, the, the guys chasing him down. Uh, I've heard a lot of talking about this. Should have Cindric, uh, tried to block his teammate or should he have just tried to drag race him to the line? Um, well, I, I think when it comes down, you have to try to win. And as long as it's not, uh, you know, totally malicious or dirty type thing, then, um, I, I think you have to be competitive, you know, even with a guy on your team, um, from there, I think early on people help teammates and that makes a lot of sense. Um, but when it, yeah, it's always been, it comes down to the last lap. Um, you know, everybody's trying to win. And I think you're right. He was trying to block him. I don't think he was trying to wreck him necessarily. Now, sometimes people will get into that and they make a mistake. Then it's, it's kind of tough to defend. Um, but, you know, in this case, you know, he was trying to win and, and, and I, I think it was okay. Not only was he trying to win, he did win. Had he lost, yeah. then that would have been an issue. Had Bubba Wallace caught him, then it would have been, you know, should have went down and blocked, blocked Bubba <laughs> and not yeah. worried about me. But, uh, at the end of the day, they won. The owner was happy. He got a winning car, and uh, and the rookie winning the Daytona 500 as well. Now they go from Florida to California, Fontana this weekend. Uh, I'll be tuning in as much as possible to that one as well. Uh, of course, I'll be spending my Saturday in Richmond, Kentucky at EKU as they have their final home game of the season, regular season finale Saturday men's and women's double hitters. So I'll be there covering that as well. Um, you know what, dad, I'm thinking maybe I can get us some, uh, media passes to Kentucky, uh, speedway. 
this year for the race. And maybe you can come down. We can go spend some time at the Kentucky Speedway. I don't know. We'll see. Just okay. thinking out loud. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we close up the episode today? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of stuff. And like I said, college basketball is going to be heating up here pretty quick and a lot of March Madness, as well as, like I said, the NFL, free agency, getting ready for the draft. The combine's coming up here maybe this week or pretty close. So um, be a lot of talk there. It'll be interesting. Combine, now that you say that, Dad, um, there's a lot of talk about the agents are going to hold their players out of workouts because they're not allowing the players, uh, you know, trainers and things like that in because of the COVID stuff. And uh, so they're still going to do the interviews and do the medical tests. But a lot of the agents are are suggesting that their players not go through any of the workout stuff because they're not allowed to have their people with them uh, and tell them to wait till pro day. Do you think that the combine will cave on this uh, so they have the guys working out? Or do you think they're going to hold their ground and, and uh, put these guys in a bubble. Um, I I thought they had already they had already changed that. Maybe not. Maybe I just heard the talk that they wanted them to. But it sounded like the combine already did uh, you know relax some of the stipulations there and was going to help because otherwise people were going to boycott it um, and not come. So I I know they've made. I'm pretty sure I've read where they have made some. Um, changes already to relax it, whether it's enough or not, you know, I, I don't know. But um, I think the combine wants to keep all the good players there and keep everything, um, you know, the, the way it is. I again, what I read or what I heard was, you know, this is by far the best select, you know, collection of talent in one spot, and they need to make it work. Yeah, well, maybe they did. I didn't see that, but there's a possibility they had worked that out. If they did, great. If they didn't, what do I care? Uh, I don't think the combine does a whole lot, at least the 40. You know, I don't think that the workouts do a whole lot. I know the interviews are very effective and are big, big decision making tools that they use for the draft as well. Uh, but like I said, once the uh, free agency kind of opens up, we'll start working towards our draft coverage and we'll break down uh, each team and draft needs and everything there. Baseball. Hopefully we've got a solution from them pretty soon. That's something that could break before this episode airs between the time we've recorded and the time the episode airs. Hopefully, uh, hopefully not for the sake of our podcast, but um, uh, that should be coming up pretty soon as well. I remind everybody you can follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at sports stove. You get the sports stove podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch us on TV as well. We're on bellyup.tv, the belly up sports TV network on the Roku or Tiki Live app on any other streaming television as well. Catch us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 7 a.m. and 2 p.m. on TV, or, again, anywhere you get your podcast as well. We'll be back for the new episode Monday morning. Don't forget to tune in to Belly Up Fantasy Baseball Live, Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Belly Up Fantasy's Twitter, Facebook uh, pages, as well as Tiki Live and Belly Up Sports TV. Um, and we'll give you a portion of that program on our Monday episode as well. Uh, at least that is the plan. All right. Good show today, dad. You're doing great. Uh, uh, improving every day. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, we appreciate the feedback that we hear. A lot of you have, have, have given us feedback that you enjoy these episodes with me and dad. And, and we have a good time talking sports with you all as well. 
All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Sports Stove Podcast. Until next time, we'll see you around the Sports Stove.